Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a great honor it is to be here and sing hymns to your mighty name. The only reason that we are able to stand is because of your mighty grace. Now we commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Last week, the printers didn't work, so we didn't have a bulletin. I think we squeezed out a couple, but uh, anyway, uh, this month's memory verse has changed, and I didn't show it on the bulletin, but just for your memory, this was the memory verse for July. Let's all say this. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, hopefully you have that one. This is the one for August. It's Romans 4, 5. It will be on the cover of the bulletins from now on in August. Uh, At least we're going to attempt to do that. But let's say this so that we'll be familiar with it. But to the one who does not work, but he's in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. We need to have those committed to memory. Like I tell the young people over and over, if you don't have anything but just your opinion you're at a big disadvantage when you bring Scripture into a conversation. It takes a whole other dimension because the Word of God is alive and powerful and it's not just your Word against someone else's Word. When when God's Word enters the fray, then the Holy Spirit can take that and do marvelous things. Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. During that time, we have the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to assemble ourselves together in obedience to your word. However, we want to be here. We are here to feed on that manna from heaven that we so desperately need. We live in the devil's world. We're in enemy territory. And we need your word. We need divine viewpoint every moment of every day. The only way that we can do that is continue to charge our spiritual batteries through your word. So we pray that you will help us to focus, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Something that I wanted to show you that I thought, uh, well, I particularly like this because it summarizes actually what we need more than any other thing. I won't have to say anything about it. It should be 
self-explanatory. Two of the greatest qualities in life are patience and wisdom. Picture can say a thousand words, can't it? <laughs> that is one smart dog. The only way that we're going to develop these qualities is by continuing to grow in grace and knowledge. If I can bring this up, I think I can. Um, this is something I'm, I was tempting, uh, attempting or attempting to do for quite a while, and I'm just going to take about five minutes this morning to <clears throat> uh, instruct with regards to the website. Now, I know that some of you are out there are relics. This, by the way, is the home page of the website. And some of, you, some of you out there are relics and don't have a computer. There are such people, and we do have such people in our midst. So if you're one of those people, do not tune out, because what you can see is how wonderful this website is, and you can encourage other people to go there, those who are not techno technologically challenged. What we see when we look at the home page, what I want you to see first of all is this, this line right here is really where you can go to utilize uh, the website to its fullest. You're looking at the home page, and it just gives pertinent information here. If you click on About Us, it just tells you uh, <clears throat> how to reach us, a map. And some fundamental things. I think there's something in there about the pastor. Um, then there's a list of Bible doctrines. If you want to click on that, there will be a list. It's all hyperlinked, and you click on whatever doctrine you want, and the notes will come up. The visuals are an uh, alphabetical list of all the visuals we have. Quite a long list, so uh, you can go to those. We have orders. If you want to order a DVD or a CD or publications, you can go there and send your order in. Music. Did you know that we have music on our website? Church music. Some of you are in there. Um, I know just about everybody is there singing because a couple of times we tape the congregation singing hymns and it's on there. But that's, we actually keep just the best of the best music there. I can say that because I'm on there too. <laughs> well, anyway, um, we also have podcasts. I'm not sure what a podcast is. Someone explained it to me one time, and so if you're, I'm not, I can't explain it. It's something nice if you have a pod and you want to receive some casts. <laughs> you don't have to go to the internet. I don't know. Anyway, we do have podcasts. I know that people are hearing it because I get emails that people say, uh, thank you for your message on the podcast. And I think, well, okay. Uh, if you want to contact us and make a comment, that's what this little hyperlink is for. And this last one is really important. I don't think many people take advantage of that, and that's the search. If there's something in particular you want to find on our website, 
All you have to do is type it in there and hit go, and it will bring up every place on that website, all the notes, everything that's there, the doctrines and so forth, with regards to that particular entry. For instance, if you wanted to look up experiential sanctification, you would just type that in that search box, hit search, and it will bring up every time that experiential sanctification is mentioned. Isn't that a neat uh, device there? Okay, uh, that's the, the top part. Of course, you have here uh, information about the church, uh, donations, and podcasts again. Then we have the current series. Right now, the current series is Joshua and Second Thessalonians, and we have uh, specials. This is uh, certain specials that are done uh, Christmas, Easter, things of that sort. Then we have previous series. Now, these are all the different series that were taught in the past. And I'll give you a shot of it. If you keep going down, these are all of the, the previous series. You just click on that and you can uh, get the notes of those. We don't have the audio for all the series because I think that's too much space or whatever, but you can order them if you want. And then this bottom part here are the publications. And all you have to do is click on that and that publication will come up and you can read it right off the uh, Internet or you can uh, email it to someone. Now, if you let's take, for instance, if we were going to use Joshua. If we wanted to see how to use the Joshua, uh, we wanted to go there, you would just click on Joshua and this is what would come up. And this is divided. This tells you the... The, this is the Sunday series, and I think we have 40 uh, lessons so far. And let's say you want to go to lesson 31. You would just click on lesson 31, and this is what would come up. Les lessons 31 through 40. And each lesson has the date here. It has a brief description of what is that, uh, the content of it. If you want to listen to the audio, you just click that button right there and you would get the audio. Now, I'm going back to the frame before that. And if you wanted to click on notes, let's say you didn't want the audios, but you want to go to the notes, here are all the notes according to chapter. So let's say if you wanted to go to uh, chapter 7, you would just click on notes and voila, the notes come up. And what you can also do is click on the audio and be listening to the message and look at the notes at the same time. Now, I think that's just uptown. Uh, and there's no excuse for people to say, well, I don't have anything. I don't have any material. Well, there's enough material there to keep you busy for a while. So that is what I was threatening to do. To my, I'm saying I was wanting to do this. I didn't threaten anybody. I try to refrain from doing that. And uh, so now you you know how to how to um, sometimes my this this is a new computer and it likes to play games and freeze up. Okay. So we've got that information. Now we're going to go turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. 
We won't review again about the Gibeonites. We've been on this for about three weeks, how they conned the leaders of the Israelites. And the Israelites made an oath, which they should not have done, but they did it anyway. And then we see how God is going to hold their feet to the fire, so to speak, with regards to an oath. And that's what we're looking at today, what we're going to... um, concentrate on, at least for the first part, is about oaths. And I think it'd be, um, let's see if I have it over here somewhere. I had an excellent, yeah, here it is. Okay, yeah. One of the good things that uh, we have is so many sources. We have dictionaries just about all over, and that's a good thing. I have a, I have a smartphone now. I'm trying to convince everybody that I'm smart, so I carry a smartphone, and it is smart. It's a wonderful thing. You can go to the, uh, you can just speak into it and say, bring up the dictionary. It brings up the dictionary. Then you can speak in the dictionary the word, and it brings up the word. You don't have to spell it, which I love. We use words. Words are important. They're extremely important. And let's look at the definition of oath because that's what we've been talking about. I got this from the dictionary.com. And I don't know all the particulars, but it goes along with the other dictionaries. It says, first of all, it is a solemn appeal to deity to witness one's determination to tell the truth or to keep a promise. The second part says, a formally affirmed statement or promise accepted as an equivalent of an appeal to deity. So what you do when you make an oath is that you bring God into it. You are appealing to Him that you're going to tell the truth. You're appealing Him to be a witness, so to speak. And this is a very serious a serious thing to make an oath. We should not take oaths lightly. We're going to see that there are those who did, and when they did, God is not pleased with people who do such a thing. For instance, all of us that are married... Hopefully, all of us took an oath. We took an oath before God to live in fidelity with our husband or with our wives. If you were married by me, then you took an oath, you ladies, that I will love, honor, and obey my husband. That is an oath before God. And God takes oaths very seriously. I'll say that over and over because I want you to make sure you get the point. Some people, after they get married, start to have second thoughts. That's a little late in the day. If you're going to have any thoughts, if you have any of the uh, timidity before you get married, you need to wait. However, there are people who uh, get married and then they start wondering, did I marry the right person? 
And they start going down that trail, and all it does is create misery. Here's what I want you to understand. You took an oath before God if you were married, and God holds you to that. And most people who have been married more than two weeks recognize that marriage is not a panacea. It is not the cure-all. It's not going to do away with all of your troubles and woes. Many times you're going to have more troubles and woes. Many times you're going to have different types of troubles and woes. Marriage is not a device to make someone happy. It is a divine institution that God has ordained that if you want to uh, have sex with someone, the Bible says, uh, then you are to be married to that person and you will be faithful to them from then on. Well, today that is cast aside, isn't it? Anybody can get a divorce for irreconcilable differences. We can't agree. They grant you the divorce and you're on your way. That's society. But God frowns upon that big time. We have half of the population uh, who get married, well, half of the, the, the population, at least in the United States, of uh, people who get married in divorce. And it's the same for Christians as well. Here's the good news, that if you enter into a marriage relationship, if you take an oath before God, and later on you start let's just say having second thoughts or ruling you are you wish that you hadn't done that well you did it and God will honor you and your marriage if you stick in that marriage and continue to honor that oath that's how important it is to God now one reason that God does this one reason that we see through scripture that oaths are so important to God is because He has taken many oaths. As far as I'm concerned, every promise in the Bible is an oath from God. His very reputation, His essence, His integrity is on the line. And so He demonstrates to us that when He makes a promise, you can count on it because He puts such great importance on an oath. We looked at Psalm chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. We looked at Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 12 through 19. Uh, we looked at several places where God has demonstrated that He honors those who keep their word. That's something that is just about unheard of these days. I want to say that again. God honors those who honor or keep their word. One reason our society and our country is, such a, is in such a mess is because people think nothing, nothing of taking and breaking oaths. People let politicians persistently break their oaths to the Constitution without the slightest repercussions. They, the politicians, know that the people will not hold them accountable, so they incessantly lie and then they're voted right back into office. Politicians, for the most part, will lie. They will say anything to get elected, and then once they're elected, they forget their promises, and they forget their oath to uphold, support, and defend the Constitution. And every one of them 
put their hand on the Bible and they raise their hand and take a solemn oath before God that they will do that. And then they summarily break it nearly every day. And the people don't hold them accountable. Some say that the Constitution is a living document that changes with the times. They say it must be interpreted according to the time we live, not according to the meaning of the author intended, the, the, the meaning of the author when he wrote it. Does that sound familiar? What else is that applied to? The Word of God, isn't it? Some say, well, it's just a piece of paper. There's one president that was quoted that says, it's nothing but a GD piece of paper. The president said that. Some say that the Constitution is a living document. It changes with the times. What does it say about the Bible? What does the Bible say about the Bible? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Before we leave this topic of taking oaths, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5 and verse 12. James chapter 5, verse 12. Before we go into that verse, there's one other comment I want to make with regards to the people and their leaders not taking their oaths seriously. The people may not hold the politicians accountable, but God certainly does. And they, as well as the people, will feel His wrath because truth is held in so little regard. James chapter 5, verse 12. But, of all, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. I'll put that on the board. You can see it. That's not in the real big font, but I have inserted a few brackets to give to clarify this meaning. But of all, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven. That would be I swear. I swear to God, or as God is my witness. That's what you do when you swear, bringing heaven into it. Or by earth, you might say, I swear on my mother's grave. Or with any other oath. It might be, I swear on a stack of Bibles. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. This is when some this the context of this does not have to do with taking an oath if you are called to a courtroom and you put your hand on the Bible and raise your hand. It's not talking about swearing an oath that way. It's not talking about swearing and using curse words. The context is when someone lies and then swears by an oath to cover it up. If we are consistently honest with people, there should be no reason to cover what you say. You don't have to cover what you say by an oath. All you have to do is say what the truth is and let that be it. You see, we all know people who are devious. They say things that are not true. And to try to convince you, they will add an oath to it. They will swear to something. Like I would swear on a stack of Bibles. Why are they doing that? They're doing that because they don't have credibility to begin with because they probably are either liars, they may be lying then. And so we are not to do that. Now, when we take an oath before God, when we do go to a courtroom, if there's any reason for us to, or to be giving a, some type of statement and we are required to raise our hand and give an oath, we are very careful to say the truth and nothing but the truth because God will hold us accountable. In Proverbs chapter 6, we have six things that God hates. Two of them are verbal. One of them is lies. It's in Proverbs 6, I believe it's in verse 19, where he says that if you... uh, He hates those who bear false witness. Those who raise their hand, they take an oath and bring God into it, and then they lie. This is one of the six things that specifically mentioned in the Bible that God hates. I can't remember if I've ever been to a courtroom. Maybe I have. I don't remember to... um, Yes, I did. I was on a jury duty one time. And we had to raise our hand and take that oath. I will share you this. If you think that you need to lie in order to dodge some type of judgment, if you think you need to lie in that set of circumstances in order to clear yourself or avoid some type of punishment, let me tell you this, and I hope you always remember this. Whatever punishment that the state can give you for perjury, for telling a lie under oath, is nothing compared to what God will do to you. And you might be success, successful in conning the, the jury, the judge, the attorneys, whoever they may be, but you're not going to con God, and you will not get by with it. That's in Proverbs chapter 6. So this oath-taking is something that is taken very seriously by God. And because people customarily lie these days, they embellish the truth, they exaggerate. Today when we hear people say things, it's hard not to be skeptical, isn't it? Because we're so used to people lying. And one reason that we are so litigious these days and everything has to go to court is because 
people are lying. They're not keeping their word. And we see in Joshua chapter 9 that God is demonstrating to us that He will honor us if we will honor our word. Something that few people do these days. We saw in Second uh, Samuel um, that here it is, Second uh, Samuel chapter twenty-one verses one through seven. We went there before. Now Joshua is going to do a right thing. He he was deceived. He made an oath, but after he made it, he stuck with it. He regretted making that oath, but he made it. And because he's going to stick to it and abide by that oath, God is going to honor him. 400 years later, King Saul broke that oath. He tried to annihilate the Gibeonites, whereas Joshua and the leaders of Israel, 400 years earlier, made an oath before God that they would not destroy them. Even though they were duped, they were lied to by the Gibeonites, still God held them accountable that. <coughs> Excuse me. And there was a three-year drought that was going on, and there were seven men that died over this, over this issue because of an oath that was taken. What I'm saying is, there is the time doesn't run out on an oath unless part of that oath has a time element in it. And so we have to be very careful when we uh, take these oaths. <clears throat> By the way, Proverbs 6.19 says, A false witness that speaketh lies and hath soweth discord among the brethren. That's two of the things that we see God hates. Look in your Bibles now at Joshua chapter 9 and verse 27. Everywhere you look in the Bible, God is substantiating, He is corroborating what He has said in the past. Look at verse 27. It's the last verse in Joshua chapter 9. But Joshua made them, <coughs> excuse me, that would be the Gibeonites, that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation, for the altar of the Lord, to this day in the place which he would choose. So we understand, I'll just summarize this very quickly. God had dedicated the central part of the land of Canaan, all the cities there, to be annihilated. The Gibeonites heard of the battle record of the Israelites that everyone that came in their periphery, they would annihilate. They were afraid that this would happen to them because they were believers. They believed that the God of Israel was the true God and He was going to do what He said He was going to do and that was be wipe them out. So they went, they sent messengers to uh, Gilgal, which is where Israel was located, the land of Canaan at that time. They were essentially stationed there. And they lied to the leaders and said that we are not one of these cities that are to be destroyed. So will you make a covenant with us? Will you make a, an, take an oath with us that you will not destroy us? And sure enough, the leaders were deceived and we went over all that about their deception. And they made an oath. Three days later, they found out that they had been conned, that they were located in the area that God had devoted to destruction. But they had already taken an oath. So what were they to do? 
whether they go back on their oath, God is saying, no, an oath is an oath. When you promise somebody something, and then later on you regret making that promise, that is not a legitimate excuse to break a promise. I don't know about you, but I'm very, <coughs> excuse me, I'm very careful in making promises. I don't hardly ever make a promise, nor should you. When you say you're going to do something, that should be enough. Your character and your history should be such that people know when he says something, when she says something, you can count on it. But when it is something so important that you make a promise, and then later on you say, man, I wish I hadn't made that promise, you stick to it. God honors that. And because God honors promises and puts such importance on it, when he says in John chapter 3 and verse, uh, verse 23, what do we find? He who believes in the Son, what? Has eternal life and does not come under the judgment. What does that mean? God puts His, his very integrity. He says, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he who believes on the Son, they're not going to get it sometime in the future. What does it say? They have it the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ. Is that an important promise? Now, has God had the attitude, well, you know, you can, there's circumstances. You can make a promise and you can kind of wiggle out of it. Then we couldn't take that one to the brink. Is that one, isn't that one important? That's why this whole issue is so important. Now, in, in verse 27, we see that they're going to be hewers of wood and bearers of water. We are so fortunate in the time in which we live because not many people carry water anymore, do they? You don't see too many people going to the river or going to the town uh, fountain and filling up the jars or buckets or tanks of water and carrying it back home. We just take it for granted. We turn on the tap, tap and we can get cold water. We can get hot water. We can go to our refrigerator and we can get cold water there. It's already cold. I mean, refrigerated cold water. Uh, we can push a button and we can get uh, cubed ice or we can push a button and get crushed ice. Everything, in the, everything is kept just so nice for us. And yet we take it all for granted and we look for things that we can gripe about. And we, we are oblivious to the fact that it wasn't that long ago people had to haul water. That was, a, that was a big deal. How much water do you drink a day? How much water do you consume in your family a day? Especially in over 100 degree temperature. Quite a bit, right? How would you like to have to haul all that to your house? That's what these people were. They were going to be dedicated for the rest of their lives as haulers of water and choppers of wood. They were in servitude. But they considered being in servitude is better than being dead. And the reason I'm telling you this, and I said that God keeps His Word, if you remember I said that a few moments ago, is because in Genesis chapter 9, verse 25, we find that uh, there was a curse upon Noah, and one of Noah's offsprings was named Canaan. And now we have these people in the land of Canaan, and the curse on uh Canaan was that his descendants would be servants of servants, that they were going to be servants. And now we, we go through the ages and we see in Joshua chapter 9, verse 27, that these people 
who were descended from Canaan, who was descended from Noah, which God put a curse on, and what's happening to them? They're servants. They're serving other men. They're slaves, essentially. And this is another vindication of God's Word. And people yawn, and, oh, well, that's nice. Let's move on. I'd like to see you make a statement. I'd like to see you dedicate a certain genealogy and say these people are going to be cursed. And then hundreds of years later, it comes to pass. Do you have the power to do that? Well, God does, and I don't want to just fly through this. I want to bring it out. Now, the Gimeonites would cause more trouble for Israel, but God would use all of this for His glory. Boy, we're going to see. We'll get into chapter 10 in a moment. And they hastily made a promise, an oath, to the Gibeonites. And they already regretted it when they found out that they had been taken. But they're going to regret it a lot more in chapter 10, which we'll see. And then we've got to see, are they going to continue to honor that oath even though it's going to get very sticky? Eventually, the tabernacle would be located in Gibeon for a time. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 3. The tabernacle. That was the portable temple. That was the temple that was moved around. It was a tent. It was called the tabernacle. And so even... The tabernacle was located there for a time. The Gibeonites helped Nehemiah rebuild Jerusalem's wall. That's in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 7. Why am I telling you these things? Because I want to show you that God can take a bad situation. In both cases, both the Gibeonites were wrong for lying and deceiving Israel, and Israel was wrong for believing them and making an oath. And yet we see hundreds of years later that God turns all this out for good because you have these same Gibeonites, rather than being annihilated now, are helping build the wall in Nehemiah's day. God uses it for good. Still they're under the curse. They're still serving. But now they're serving towards God's end in building the wall. Do you see that? So this is yet another example where God can take a bad situation and make it good. Now, I don't want to pry, and I don't want to get into your privacy. I would never do that. But for just a moment, I want to go into your own head. Nobody's in your head but you. And I want you to think for yourself, is there something that in your life that is a somewhat of a mess? Is there, is there something that you wish you had not done and maybe you are feeling the consequences now? Is there a bad situation in your life now? Well, what I'm telling you here in Joshua 9, this is the principle, this is the point. God can take that issue, that trouble, that woe, that bad situation, and He can turn it out for good. And He's the only one that can do it. Some of you may be, your gears may be moving in your soul, and you might be thinking, hmm, that kind of reminds me of Romans 8, 28. Remember that? All things work together for good 
for those who love the Lord. Did you hear that qualifier in there? The qualifier, all things do not, first of all, all things are not good. But all things work together for good. Does that mean for everybody? No. If you're a believer, does it mean it's automatically going to work for you? No. For those who what? Love the Lord. Can you love the Lord if you don't know the Lord? Coming to church and singing, Oh, how I love Jesus, does not qualify you as a person that loves the Lord. What I'm saying is if you are doctrinally and spiritually ignorant, you can't claim that verse. Because you don't qualify as one who loves the Lord. Here's the thing. If you have been positive towards God's Word, the more you learn about Him, it's, it's it nearly axiomatic you're going to love Him. You can't, you can't be strong in doctrine and not love the Lord. And that's what that promise is for. And that's where we faith rest. Whatever it is in your life. And I know, boy, I see a lot of faces that are playing poker out there. They're like, well, I'm, I'm just real nice. I'm real pious and... Uh, it thinks it's That's the faces that I'm seeing. <clears throat> but I hope that this word is penetrating your soul because I know probably in every one of our lives there are issues that we consider just a mess. It's a bad situation. And what we do is trust the Lord that He can work it out for good. If He can do this for the Gibeonites, certainly He can do these things for us. Okay, we're going to turn the page now. Are you all ready? We're going to chapter 10. Well, you might not be literally turn, turning the page. <clears throat> I have to turn the page. Um, let me find something here. What I'm finding is, I want y'all to meditate on oaths, okay? Y'all are laughing. Okay, chapter 10. <clears throat> Let's read the first verse. Now it came about when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured Ai and had utterly destroyed it, just as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and, and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were within their land, that he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all his men were mighty. And then in verse 3, we're going to see that he is going to form a coalition of kings, these cities that are in the middle of Canaan. And you know who he's going to attack? Who do you think he's going to attack? I can, be, I can tell if you've read ahead or not. And if you want to read ahead, that's fine. Just don't do it when I'm teaching, okay? I encourage you to read ahead, but not when I'm teaching. What we find is that he's not going to attack the Israelites. You know who he's going to attack? 
The Gibeonites. Why is he going to attack the Gibeonites? Because they were part of a bigger coalition of city-states in this land of Canaan that God had dedicated for annihilation. And because that they sided with the Israelites, do you think that was pleasing to them? Not too pleased. They were somewhat displeased, you can say. And so they are going to attack the Gibeonites. Now, I'm, I, I just set this, I'll set this up for you here. Do you know what the Gibeonites are going to do when all their brethren, used to be brethren, hear about what they have done? And they're, <coughs> they're coming to Gibeon, uh, Gibeon to, to essentially wipe them out. Do you know what they do? What do you think they're going to do? They go to Israel. And you know what they say? Uh, remember that oath you made? Well, it's time to step up to the plate. That's what they're going to say. Remember I said that they're going to have cause to rue even more the fact that they made a, an unwise covenant. They made an oath and, and didn't think it out. Now we're going to see that they have to say, not only did they not like it when they found out that they had been conned, but they made an oath before God. Now they're in trouble. Their own kinsmen are going, are attacking them, and they send word to the Israelites and say, Help! What would you do in that situation? You already wish you didn't make the contract. Well, we'll see. First of all, let's look at a few things. First of all, Adonai Zedok, underline his name. Adonai Zedok. It sounds similar to another king, an ancient king of Jerusalem who's called Melchizedek. Adonai Zedok, Melchizedek are similar. The ending Zedek, Z-E-D-E-K, is the Hebrew word for righteous. Adonai means Lord. So Adonai Zadok is translated, or would be translated, what it means is Lord of Righteousness. Are you confused yet? We're talking about a pagan king. And his name is Adonai Zadok, Lord of Righteousness. Now in Melchizedek, you have uh, Melech, is the word for king. So Melchizedek, this person, that this king that sounds similar to this Adonai Zedek, his name means king of righteousness. Melchizedek. Our Lord Jesus Christ is after the order of Melchizedek, a wonderful king called king of righteousness. And yet here in the first, first verse, we have a stumbling block. We have a pagan king, and his name is Lord of Righteousness. Do you suppose that that right, that, that pagan king, do you think that Zedek, I mean, uh, that this Adonai Zedek was truly a Lord of Righteousness? He was a pagan king! Do you think that a pagan king is going to be righteous? Why would it be named Lord of Righteousness? What am I trying to tell you here? Is that Satan is the great counterfeiter. He is the great deceiver. And he, 
He comes, He and His minions come as messengers of light. You're not going to see false teachers that have grown horns and carrying a a trident. That's ridiculous anyway. What we see is that what we see on the surface does not mean that it is of God. Last week is a good example. We talked for a little while about the day of prayer that was taking place in Houston. And I, the, the gist of it was that was a good thing done in a wrong way. Because the people that were promoting it, NAR was one of them, and IHOP and others, are false teachers. And they deceived many people as if they are angels of light, and they are not. They are deceivers. And it's unfortunate that so many legitimate, orthodox Christian leaders identify themselves with these false teachers. I've already gone over that. But what I'm trying to help you see is this name is telling us, the Bible is trying to explain something to us, that there are people who use religious vocabulary and they may talk to you about redemption and grace. That doesn't even mean they're believers. The cults use the same words that we do. But they don't mean the same thing. So that's why his name is Adonai Zadok. To me, that's an insult. It's an insult to me when I see false teachers take on the mantle of a man of God. And they are not. They're actually servants of Satan. The only way that you can distinguish and tell who's who is by knowing the Word of God and hearing what they say and seeing if it lines up with the Word of God. That's called being a good Berean from Acts chapter 17. Anything that anybody says about anything needs to be measured against the Word of God. And if it is not substantiated by the Word of God, it doesn't matter how big their following may be. It doesn't matter how eloquent they are. It doesn't matter how intelligent they are or what they look like or anything else. They are messengers of darkness. And we can see that through this name that this pagan king had for himself. Now in verse 2, I want you to notice that the Gibeonites are called mighty men. Underline that, mighty men. They did not seek out Israel to make a contract with them. They didn't deceive the leaders of Israel because they were cowards. They were not cowards. They were mighty men. They were mighty warriors. The Hebrew word there is gabor, G-E-B-O-R, and it means strong and valiant. The reason that they deceived the Israelite leaders is because they believed in the Israelite God. They believed that He was the true God and they were going to be annihilated if they did not submit to Him. So the rest of the Gibeonites considered them traitors. And they're going to move against the Gibeonites. Let's look at verse 2. We'll start with verse 2. Or continue with it. This is talking about Adonai Zedok in verse 2. That he, Adonai Zedok, he was the big cheese there, feared greatly 
because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. So they didn't, they didn't align themselves with Israel because they were cowards or weak. They did because they knew the God of Israel was the true God. Therefore, Adonai, this is verse 3, Therefore, Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent word to Hoham, king of Hebron, and to Hiram, king of Jarmuth, and to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me and let us attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and the sons of Israel. So the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem and the king of Hebron and the king of Jarmuth and the king of Lachish and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up. They, with all their armies, encamped by Gibeon and fought against it. Against it. Then, this is verse 6, Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. Bad news, isn't it, for Israel? They already wish they hadn't had a con. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. And it would be very easy for them to say, you know what? These are all pagans anyway. Let's just let them wipe each other out. But that, isn't that the rational thing? Isn't that logical? I mean, you can very easily rationalize that and say, well, they deceived us, so that gives us the right to ignore this plea. But there's only one problem. They opened their big mouth and made a promise. And now, we're going to see they're going to honor it. And because, listen to this, I've got to close. Listen to this. Because they're going to honor their promise. The next verse, verse 7, Joshua doesn't hesitate. That night, they get on their, get up and they go, they march 20 miles at night to help the Gibeonites. And because they honored their word, God is going to honor them. And in this chapter, chapter 10, when the battle ensues, you know what we're going to find? A miracle that is just about everyone has heard of, such a great miracle. They're going to need more time to do the job the Israelites are, and Joshua's going to make the most audacious request you can imagine. He's going to say, God, we need more time. Just go ahead and stop the sun. Just hold the sun there so we get about 12 more hours of daylight. And what did God do? He stopped the sun. Because He honored these people who honored their word. And there's nothing too difficult for our God, is there? Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. We, live, we make God too small. There's nothing that He can't do. When you're in God's will, you ask Him, He'll do it. He stopped the sun for Joshua. What will He do for you? Now, I've got to close here. And we're going to continue with verse 6 next time. Boy, there are so many great principles in Joshua. I, can't, I just can't wait till next time to give you more. Because I'm elated. This, is, this helps me. When someone asked me, will you do so-and-so? I kind of, whoa, <laughs> let me give some thought to that.
I mean, if it's a commitment, if it's something that is going to cause me to regret making that promise, you better think it through. Because if you very lightly and think nothing of making a promise to someone and break it, you get on God's side, a bad side, and you don't want to be on that bad side. Now, we're going to have a closing prayer now. But before we do, I would like to ask Juliana Hare to come forward, please. She didn't know I was going to do this. Juliana, if you'll stand right over there, kind of in that open place right there. The reason I ask her to come forward is because Wednesday she's going to college to Lubbock, Texas, Texas Tech. And we will not see her uh, for a while. And so I'm going to give you all a chance to file up by her and wish her well and tell her that you, she's going <laughs> to... She will be in your prayers and so forth, and we are going to miss you for sure. Uh, I just love the whole Hare family. And uh, so you have that opportunity. Now, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you are our God, an omnipotent, all-powerful God, and yet a gracious God. You offer eternal salvation as a gift. All one has to do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that went to the cross. He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. And now He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. You have to make a decision. Are you going to trust on your own righteousness, your own works, or are you going to trust on the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on your behalf? The moment that you believe that Jesus Christ did just that. He paid for your sins and you're trusting in Him and Him alone. That's the moment you're born again and you have eternal life. Father, if there's anyone here that hasn't made that decision, we pray that they will do so now. We pray that you will be with Juliana as she goes away to college, that you will protect her, that you will provide for her, that you will bring into her stream of consciousness every day that divine viewpoint and help her to stay on that righteous course. And we thank you for all that you have done for us already this morning. And we give you praise and glory and pray it all in Christ's most high and holy name.